The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 126. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all of the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And this time, we're talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, The People of Earth. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. I think the title of this episode is Blatant Pandering to the Audience. <laughs> Fan service. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, be sure to share the podcast with your friends and help us grow this community of listeners and uh, Star Trek fans. Uh, we know that there are lots of Star Trek fans out there who would enjoy listening to our discussion. I also want to mention, if you are a Star Trek fan, you might also be a Star Wars fan, and you should listen to another StarQuest a podcast called The Secrets of Star Wars, which has begun discussing the latest season of The Mandalorian. And let me tell you, trust trust me, you do not want to miss that. If you are a Star Wars fan, you want to listen to their discussion because they get, man, they get into it. It's really good. I've been editing it today <laughs> and they, they are all the details. It's really well, good. And I'm sure they're all bubbling over that episode because that was a pretty good one. Yeah, good so, first episode of the season. And uh, it's based, like, it's an homage to... The John Wayne movie War Wagon, and I'll I'll just leave it mm -hmm. at that for now, and you can go listen to the to that episode. So check it out. Secrets of Star Wars, sqpn.com slash Star Wars. But we are talking about Star Trek, and this episode of Star Trek Discovery, now the third episode of the season, is directed by our old friend Jonathan Frakes, Commander Riker, mm -hmm. and Captain Riker, Admiral Riker. I forget where his rank is at this point in the in things, but uh, but he's Frakes. It starts with a, a uh, Burnham's log summarizing is like you know what a personal log summarizing what she's learned so far. So it's basically and we have a, a six digit star date. Yep. Yes, the first six digit star date eight nine something something. We we start we jumped from uh, about seventy six thousand about uh, with Picard to eight six five two one one point three point three. Uh, yes, and. Uh, Clearly, at this point, it star dates are now just dates. They're counting up like the like the Unix date. They're counting up from a number. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the original series, <laughs> they were just making it up. Like they just threw a number down on the page, a four digit number, just be be done with it. So fans won't abide by that anymore. But it does start with Burnham's log summary of it's, it's summarizing for the fans. Okay, we've had the first two episodes. This is what we know so far. Remember, dilithium supplies have dried up. And then the burn happened. And I think that's an interesting point. So we, I think that's a new point we're learning. Dilithium supplies dried up before the burn so that there wasn't more dilithium to dig up. I thought that was interesting. Well, they, they mentioned it. They mentioned it briefly. Was it last episode? Uh, but there was there was some yeah. point where they mentioned that or maybe it was the first episode. But there, there was a point where they mentioned very briefly about the that they, they ran out of dilithium and what dilithium they did have 
exploded. When inert. Right. When inert. So this was just kind of re, 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 uh, re telling that, exposing that. Right. Uh, any ship with an active warp core exploded. Uh, and we get a, a nice little visual, you know, special effect of a whole bunch of starships on screen exploding. Uh, she's she in that inter year since she showed up and and then Discovery showed up. She became a courier to finance her explorations and her search for Discovery, like Booker. Uh, apparently, she went out on her own. So Booker, they, mm -hmm. they she collaborated with Booker on a few things, but she's also went on her own. And uh, she ended up by the end of the year settling the the idea with she'd never see Discovery again. And then it showed up, and so yep. it's a. You know, we, we have that emotional uh, moment. We also get a bit more clarity on her relationship with Booker. Apparently, she's got him in the friend zone. Yes, he has been mm -hmm. clearly friend zoned. There is a little bit of sparkiness that happens later in this episode, but uh, I think she's still holding a torch for Ash, which is a kind of a funny <laughs> phrase. Yeah. <laughs> that flame is still alive. It's not just ashes. She, oh. she reviews with uh, Saru how people are coping. Oh, we also get this big reunion scene because we just yes. saw mm -hmm. Burnham on the view screen last time. So this time she beams over and it's hugs all around, except Captain Giorgio is not the hugging type. Yeah, she stands in the back, yeah. but we get this like this look between them where she clearly acknowledges uh, Burnham has very clearly changed. She is relaxed. Mm -hmm. She's looser. She's not as uptight as she was. To make sure we get that message, which is apparently being telegraphed to the fans because... Mm stiff michael burnham was not the fan favorite yeah that they wanted her to be not only do does she get to show us that she's different but different characters repeatedly get to tell us that she's different <laughs> yes we are we are gonna uh, staple this to the wall so that everyone can see it and put up a billboard stamets responds to the news about the burn by saying that's impossible nothing could affect all dilithium at once and giorgio says says a man who jumps a starship through mushroom space <laughs> which is yeah, a that was a nice line, line. <laughs> um <laughs> and so we get this episode's quest early on there is a burnham has record of a 12 year old transmission from a starfleet admiral on earth and they want to use the spore drive to jump there uh because they're in a in a different quadrant. They're like very far from Earth where most people, because there's not enough dilithium, are not traveling uh, these distances anymore. Yeah. And they're for once, they're going to do something a little smart. And instead of just barreling in, they're going to jump outside of Earth's sensor range, which is apparently just outside Saturn. And that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and then they're going to proceed in at sublight to make it look like they are, you know, not having a magical spore drive with a truckload of dilithium on board. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, there is this moment where they have to decide who's captain because of course, right. Remember that the Saru is only temporarily captain that uh, the Pike had left. They had still didn't have a captain. And there was this decision to be made between Saru and, and Burnham about who was going to take the center seat. And, but Burnham kind of surprises everyone. She's like, Nope, you can have it. I, I'm, 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 I no longer have this desire to be captain and she says uh it's always been you saru like who's been, truly been captain and frankly i think he's been doing a good job so far yeah 
So finally, we have an alien captain as the main captain on a Starfleet series. I mean, this is so long overdue. There has been so much injustice to aliens by not giving them proper representation in the captaincy of a Star Trek series. It's finally writing an injustice. It's just way too late. Well, no, I have to defer uh, because the captain of Defiant was actually uh, Worf, who was, you know, the Klingon, of course. Yeah, that's just. That's just a, a subsidiary ship with the main <laughs> captain on that series was as human as you could get. Okay, okay, all right, all right. We got to have real representation here. So uh, Tilly, meanwhile, talks to Burnham about the loss that they're all experiencing, that they haven't been able to grieve uh, the loss of crewmates, and they have a memorial that they've put up in one of the one of the hallways, which is reminiscent of Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if you remember that that mm-hmm. they oh, yeah. had one of those uh, a memorial and. Uh, also, but she mentions like the loss of family and friends who have now been dead for centuries, you know, people that they're never going to go back to see, including her mom, which, you know, hey, she she has trouble with her mom, who, who you know, many people have troubles with their parents uh, as adults, mm-hmm. but still your mom. And so she's kind of dealing with that grieving that that has come along with it. Book comes aboard. He's going to get uh, he well, first he meets Giorgio in the transporter room. She's beamed him aboard and gets grilled by her about his relationship to Burnham. Uh, He refuses to, you know, to to, that's none of her business, but she manages to uh, wheedle it out of him anyway. (laughs) Uh, Which is a a nice fun moment where he I'm I'm just in the friend zone, mom. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny they show that like he, he's one of these characters where he really wants to defend himself. He's like, no, no, I'm just I'm not going there. I'm not going to say we're, we're not talking about this. <laughs> this. This isn't happening. Right. He's you know, been warned. A couple of times we've seen him do that. Yeah. Burnham, Burnham has warned him about it. So and then George uh, Burnham is going to finally pay off the debt where she had promised that if if he helped her find discovery, she would pay him off in some of Discovery's uh, dilithium supply. They, they've got a lot of it. I mean, yes. way more than we've ever seen before. Right. I kind of like the dilithium storage containment. It's sort of it's almost like a uh, where you like a uranium storage in a, a nuclear reactor. It's kind of it's they, they treat it as if it's, you know, you've got to be really careful with it, I suppose. And she comes up with the idea that they need to mask the, the, the signature of the ship's dilithium supply because here you've got this thousand-year-old ship. It's like you're sailing like the the you a replica of the of the Santa Maria <laughs> around mm-hmm. with uh, uranium on board, plutonium on board, <laughs> that anyone could come yeah, along and yeah. take. You're you're asking for pirates. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so they're going to put it on Book's ship, where which can mask it, and then put that ship in the shuttle bay, which it fills. And uh, Saru is suspicious of of Burnham. Because she's acting differently. One thing that's a little irritating is in beginning or end of last episode, you know, they're describing the enemy vessel, which, of course, is Book's ship. Yes. As this big, massive ship that's overhead. And yet it fits within the shuttle bay almost perfectly. (laughs) Right. So also by calling attention to the shuttle bay, it just underscores the plot holes in the previous episode where they could have solved so much by just using their shuttles. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, And we get actually we get a lot of uh, work bees and the dot sevens. Uh, doing yep. various work, repairing the ship's hull, and that we so we get that, which also underscores plot holes in the previous episode <laughs> where they should have had the the drones and robots doing the repairs. Yes, yes. Yep. Instead of dr- milking the drama with Stamets in the Jeffries tube, right? Uh, so Saru wants to offer Burnham the role of 
uh, executive officer first, number one, he calls her, but XO. And uh, but he's kind of hesitant because she's changed a lot in uh, very obvious ways. And she explains that everything they knew and dedicated their lives to has disappeared into madness. And she spent a year figuring out why and adapting to that new reality. And so she's going to have trouble readapting back to discovery and Starfleet life and that sort of thing. So she asked him, and this is going to be a key plot point here, right? Has Burnham really gone over? Has she really become gone native or is she mm-hmm. still someone they can trust? And that's really the, the key here. And she says it both early and at the very end of the episode about, I just need time. And mm-hmm. it's like, uh, why are you telling me this so much? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I like that. I like the way they're playing that. Just the fact, yeah, they're, they're doing a lot more telling than showing. But, you know, you, you can imagine that someone who is in this very Wild West universe for a year having to struggle to survive much less find the discovery, um, it's going to change you. Yeah. You know, and, and then to be put back into this environment that you left a year ago, you know, it's going to be hard to, hard to, to, to recover from that. And, you know, that's going to well, change you maybe even permanently. Also, she's used to, you know, iPhone 10 now, and they're asking her to use yep. rotaries. You know, <laughs> right, what's yeah. up with that? The yeah, party exactly. line. Uh, and Georgia <laughs> points out at, at, in, a, in a little bit, but she points out that Burnham, who has always lived under like w- whether either strict Vulcan discipline and then straight into Starfleet, she's experienced freedom for the first time that she's never had before where she's on her own. Mm-hmm. She's the one making decisions for herself. And so now she's got to come back under. And Georgia's biased in a sense because she thinks, mm-hmm. you know, Starfleet is a little too stiff anyway, but she's kind of pointing this out to her. So there's a little of that as well. So uh, Discovery jumps to the Earth system, flies in, and is greeted in orbit of Earth by the United Earth Defense Force, which is a name we've heard before in Enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. That was the original pre-Starfleet Earth, United Earth Defense Force. And they're they're told, you are not welcome here. So they they do not get the, the, the welcome home that they were expecting, which, you know, Kind of makes sense. Yeah. And it turns out that Earth is no longer part of the Federation. Mm-hmm. The Federation right. apparently still exists, but Earth is not part of it. And they are armed to the teeth. They've got this advanced planetary defense system with massive force field generators in orbit that can completely mm-hmm. seal off the planet with force fields. Mm-hmm. And the Discovery crew decides to lie to the advanced future people with their advanced future scanning technology <laughs> by telling them that they've that they are the descendants of a research vessel that has been out of contact for a long time, but has now come home to investigate this transmission mm. from Admiral Senatal. And the the Earthers say, well, Admiral Senatal died years ago, so you must be lying but we'll board your ship and inspect you and confirm whether or not mm-hmm. you can actually deceive us about being a generation ship and where are your where where are your uh, what race are you and where are your parents and and <laughs> and all the records yeah. of them right yes Let's show me show us some proof that you're a generational ship i mean this ship is so and, and old not to, not, <laughs> yeah and, and not to mention they mentioned late, you know that uh it's mentioned later that well this all you know 
old technology, but it looks brand new. Yes, that comes well, up. Well, if it's a generational yeah. ship, that comes it's up. not going to look brand and new. In a generational ship, like where are the old people and the kids for yes. the next generation? Yeah. This exactly. is not a very good lie. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, meanwhile, they have to disguise themselves as Starfleeters. So both Book book and Burnham have to put on Starfleet uniforms. So we have a, a, a funny scene of, of Book putting on a uniform for the first time. As, and, as well as Flippa. Yes, Flipia. she she puts on an admiral's uniform, of course, which yeah, of course, yes, which doesn't make sense because then she'd be in charge. But OK, but that's what she does. Um, we are told that Earth has become self-sufficient, which is good. Uh, good, good to know, because we're not self-sufficient now, uh, but <laughs> they, they become self-sufficient again. And they're under siege for its dilithium stores by a raider named Wen, who's been relentlessly targeting the planet. But apparently they've never captured any of the raiders and looked inside their helmets. This is this is going to be so stupid after the reveal. (laughs) Yes. So uh, we're told Starfleet and the Federation left Earth 100 years previously because they didn't know if the burn was an attack and if it would come again. And they didn't. So they didn't want Earth to be a target, I guess. So the planet they were going to would be a target. She also claims at this point that uh, this is the captain. I forget her name. The the unit, the Earth captain. Um, Nadala or something like that. Just Earth Lady. Earth Lady. She also claims that the Admiral who sent the transmission from Earth died, like we said. Um, And this is when Wen attacks and apparently looks like some kind of bug creature, at least from the helmets that we see. Metallic bug creature. Right. Pretty cool looking, actually. And now the Earth captain and her team of inspectors can't leave because of some sort of transporter malfunction but orders Discovery to leave orbit. I'm saying, well, will that take you away too? <laughs> like, you have to leave now. Okay, we'll take you with us. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Also, we've been seeing the inspectors in action, like down in, in uh, the engine room, in the spore drive room. They've been looking at stuff. And there's there's one of them whose uh, name is Adira. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Who um, is very young and is kind of sparring with Tilly about who's the best girl genius. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and and Tilly gets a little upset because this girl is kind of showing her up uh, with her, her skills. <laughs> yeah. The, the Earth Captain also says to Saru, look, if you don't leave orbit, we'll have to shoot Wen's ships down and then you'll have started a war. And I'm thinking, aren't they already at yeah. war with Wen? Yeah. Also, more like an international incident, right? But mm-hmm. they're raiders; they're like pirates. So, like yeah. it, it, that does—it didn't make any sense. It, there was—that's a—I'm sorry—that's a flaw in the writing here. They—they—they. They, they, they oh, can... there are lots of flaws in the writing here. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Um, so it turns out that the uh, Adira installed some tech in engineering that is interfering with the transporters. So she's somehow for some reason undermining her own people we should we should also mention that uh when they transported onto the onto discovery discovery shields were up which of course you know everybody knows transporters don't work through unless you're talking 31st century or whatever century it is you know or borg you know so i mean that these are advanced transporters that can get through the regular discovery shields but apparently this blocker boosts the shields in a way that prevents that yes basically fixes that also, Detmer has another moment where during the Red Alert crisis, she's actually the voice of sanity. Right. But it's played as if she's a little cowardly and this is more yep. of her ongoing whatever it is that they PTSD have told or yet. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or control, <laughs> which is our, our mm. working theory so far. Uh, oh, well, your working theory. Your huh? theory yeah. uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I do not mean to impugn you. In, in case you keep... my... 
You keep using this word we. I do not think it means what you think it means. He's just using the royal we. It's the royal we. Uh, <laughs> us here. Uh, uh, we, we shall move on. Uh, and uh, I will mention that ca- <laughs> the captain's name is Captain Indoya. I've, I've found my note on Indoya. that. Burnham it comes up with a plan to fix the situation, but doesn't bother to stop for a moment and tell Saru that she has a plan. She just does it, which is kind of dumb. <laughs> Because it sets... Oh, but it shows us how different she is now. Yes, yes. She's dumb now. Yes, she she does things without <laughs> asking permission, which is literally the very first thing she does as the series starts, which is yeah. <laughs> does th- something without permission. You'd think she would have learned by this point. But Burnham and Booker take his ship, which is which is now holding all of Discovery's dilithium stores, which causes mm-hmm. Saru to be more suspicious. So we're, we've got this artificial... You know, drama being created by Burnham's reckless, you know, and we, of course, we know as an audience, she's not, she's, she's not betraying them. Like we know that, right? It's kind of, it's like I said, artificial. So they're running some kind of scam and they do this thing that you see sometimes in shows. They keep referring to, remember that time we ran this con? Oh yes, this other thing, you know, between Booker and, and Burnham. And it, I don't know. I just find it kind of tedious. They, they rattle off like five different scenarios by the places they executed them. And we right. could do this one. Oh, we could do that one. And yeah, hey, thank you for the baffle gab. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. It's almost it's almost like River and the Doctor comparing uh, notes yeah. of where right. they've been. That's funner than this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that actually makes sense because of the timeline issues. Yeah. But this is just, this is just yeah, like kind of bashing the audience over the head with they've had a history together over the past year. Remember, like they've yes, done you, things. You, you've yeah. just told us that at the beginning of this episode. You don't have to remind us. So Saru refuses to fight when refuses to shoot back and instead takes takes the hit when the Earth ships shoot at book ship to take it down so that the pirates don't get the dilithium. Yeah. And that's the moment that Detmer is the voice of sanity. It's like these guys have weapons that are 900 years more advanced than us. Maybe we don't want to take the hit. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, good point. Yeah. Good call on that. <laughs> and Giorgio, meanwhile, is trying to get Saru to fight back. And Saru is like, no, we are Starfleet. We don't fight except when we do, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't. We just don't shoot first. Yes. Uh, uh, which they're you're not, not doing. They're not Han Solo. Right. Which you're not doing. You're under attack. So uh, Bur- somehow Burnham got Wen to lower his shields. She was making as if they were beaming. They were going to give him all this dilithium in exchange to letting them go free. Oh, it was like most gullible pirates ever. <laughs> right. He lowers his shields and instead they kidnap him and bring him to dis- back to Discovery. It turns out that Wen is a human. He's from the Titan colony, which has been cut off from Earth for ages, a century and they had split off from Earth. They were self-supporting. They had an accident that put a strain on their resources. And so instead of asking for help, well, they did ask for help. But when their ship came to Earth, it was destroyed out of hand. And so now they decided, well, if you're not going to help us, we're just going to take what we what we need from your ships or ships that are going to Earth or something. This is stupid for so many reasons. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and it's like, OK, the United Earth Defense Force cannot recognize human technology or ships coming to and from Titan. Right. 
which mm-hmm. is in our own solar system, just light minutes away. Well, because their sensors don't ex- only extend to just to be like around Saturn, right? <laughs> We've got telescopes yeah. <laughs> yes. that you, you can track these ships to where they're going. You should be seeing this dilithium traffic from the Raiders going back to Titan. Right. You should be in radio contact with every single human colony in the system. Just and you don't even need subspace radio, just regular radio. <laughs> right. This is no, this is nonsense. <laughs> and 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 it's all a big setup for oh great, now the enlightened 23rd century people are here to give us a negotiated federation ending, but just like so many Starfleet episodes or Star Trek episodes of oh if we only negotiate with each other we can solve everything. So they're here to point out the obvious that you guys mm-hmm. can just talk this out. Out, right. And you can both help each other. And thank you so much. How many times have I seen this trope? Yeah. <laughs> and it's also the trope of why is Captain Indoya? She seems to be empowered to speak on behalf of Earth's government completely. She doesn't have to consult with anyone. She's just as long as she makes the treaty. This is. You know, it's just I know it's only the episode is only so long. Well, we do people this, were complaining Discovery wasn't like regular Star Trek. So here they go. <laughs> here we go. This is like, they, did they have to make it Voyager, though? Could it not be one of the other? Yeah. Shows? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, Stamets has found our young saboteur, Adira, and confronts her pleasantly and tells her with music played for comedy. Yes. I mean, those yeah. are comedy stings. Yep. And he oh, yeah. he rattles off everything that she needs to know about the spore drive, which is a oh. super secret technology. I he gives away all the classified things. I mean, all the classified things without yeah. permission. That we're time travelers, and we got this spore drive, and all the. Mm-hmm. Do not tell. Do not. What did Saru say? The cover story was <laughs> as stupid as it was. You <laughs> should be sticking to it. Well, we're not given a reason why he tells her this. I mean, if you have a reason, like, tell us why he's decided to reveal all this information to her and then make it believable. But he just sort of, like, lays it out. She thus admits, I guess it's to gain her trust. She admits she's she's an inspector, but she only did so under a pretense so she could find a Federation starship and go with them. Because she claims at, at this point that she's Admiral Tal's daughter and she's looking for him and that he's not really dead. Well, does, does, I don't think she really said daughter. Just I didn't. She, she said knew she knew him. him. Just that she knew him. And that's. Are you sure? I thought. I thought. Yeah, that's yeah. what I remember. Oh, all right. Yeah. I don't remember mentioning mentioning uh, that that uh, she was her. She was his daughter. Oh, okay. but that just that she knew him. And then that's where they they, you know, they do the oh, you know, and cut. You know, the- I guess I was extrapolating here, and and then that extrapolation gets superseded by later information. Because we, we we find out yeah. she knows him a lot more intimately than just a, a daughter. Yes, she's carrying him basically, right, as yeah. a trill. Yes, it turns out that she's she's human, but she's kill, carrying the a trill symbiont, which is apparently unknown to Starfleet in the twenty third century because that that information is only we see that information get revealed in TNG in that episode yep. where. Riker has to carry. Yeah, I'm glad they actually they play, played that out right. Where yes, you know where they're talking like I don't know these trill, and this is what you know. This is uh, Burnham saying this is what I learned. I saw trill. I didn't realize they had the the symbiote and all that. So right. I mean, I'm glad they didn't try to say, oh yeah, we knew about trill back in you know before TOS yes. era. 
Uh, they they stick to canon at least for as as well as you can because they <laughs> they change things between TNG and DS9. But uh, it, I find it interesting that by the way, so it's Riker who carried the trill in TNG's episode, the host, and it's Frakes who's directing it. So it's kind of I don't know. I, yep. There's there's a little um, parallelism there. But uh, yeah, she says she's she's actually tall. Um, she's the human joining, but because th- she's not trill herself as a host she has trouble accessing Tall's memory. So this is going to be an ongoing mm-hmm. plot point. Yeah. And she gets left by Cap by Captain Admiral Earthwoman. Yes. With mm-hmm. the with the discovery for why she's a member of the United Earth Defense Force. What's the explanation for why? Because I don't think she told him I'm carrying I've been carrying a secret trill spy from the Federation <laughs> this whole time. Right. Yeah. And that's not the re- and now I'm going to help him find Starfleet. I, I don't think that's the excuse she gave Captain Admiral Earthwoman. Yeah. But uh, but also, she was the cause of the transporter interference. She admits to Stamets that I only did that to delay so I could scope out your you guys more. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so what's the explanation for the Earth Defense Force people for why the what caused the transporter interference and why it's not causing it now. Right. There's just all kinds of plot holes here. Yeah, there, there is. I mean, maybe she just, maybe in the United Earth Defense Force, you can just quit your job. I'm quitting. I'm staying with these guys. I like them better. I thought they made it sound more like she was going to be like a liaison or something like that, you know, or it could be, but you know, she's 16. I mean, they didn't that's... explicitly say that, but yeah. it just, that's kind of the way I took it. They don't have enough time though, to tell us, the, the reasonable things, because what's right. really important is we need to include more togetherness word salad. <laughs> I mean, right. this is that we get some we just get more together language about how we're more together now in togetherness than we've ever been together before here in this new century. Yes, the, yeah. we're together. Did you hear that? <laughs> so yeah. Burnham. So, Saru is a speechmaker. Yes, he's a speechmaker. So Burnham acknowledges that she should have told Saru about her plan. Uh, he says trust must remain an assumption between us, and she recognizes that she she you know is not doing a good job at that. She says uh, once again, as you said, Jimmy, she that she needs time to get back to herself, but does accept the job as first officer, which he didn't actually offer her, but she accepts it anyway. <laughs> yes, I'll take it. I'll take- Earlier, he said he was thinking about. It. He yeah. had been thinking about offering her the number one position, and yep. she's just, oh, I'll take that. At the end of the episode, Um, that was a did you notice the the verbal mood that I used when I said I had been thinking of offering it to you? (laughs) There's an there's a verbal aspect there. I think you need to attend to. Yep. As uh, so as we wrap up, uh, Book is leaving. He's getting he's taking his ship. He's getting a fresh start in a new quadrant. I'm sure we'll see him again. But uh, but he's not going to be regularly traveling with the crew. Um, and then uh, because of the, you know, the star, the discovery crew has done such a good job. They are now being invited to visit Earth, to visit the planet. And so the bridge crew is visiting Starfleet Academy, uh, which is maybe still a, a school. Who knows? They don't say, uh, yeah. but it's in San Francisco. I've been, I, I've been there, though. I've uh, been to the site of the future Starfleet Academy. Yeah, me too. The, right. Yes. Yeah, so it's the Presidio mm-hmm. in there, although I was there before it was a. It's owned by Lucasfilm now, I think, or, or parts of it anyway. But anyway, uh, I was there when it was still just an old abandoned 
airport and uh, they find an enormous tree that's still in the same spot it was, although much older, that it, when they left it 930 years previously. So it's the same tree that they used to sit under and study. Uh, this is an enormous and ancient tree. Uh, trees don't usually well, live about a thousand long. years, yeah. easily a thousand year old tree. I'm kind of curious what kind of tree it was, because, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't look like a uh, sequo uh, sequoia. So I don't know what it is. But um, anyway, that, so this is where we end sort of this nice moment where they they get to visit Earth and which is home, but not home anymore. All right. Anything left to say about this episode? Father Corey? So, um. Science fiction, science fiction acting is a small world, and we've got two actors that are from that have been in other franchises. Uh, Wen is played by Christopher Hairdall, yep, who was Todd the Wraith on Stargate Atlantis, yep, and David Ajala. I didn't rec, I didn't recognize him till later. He was Peter Chief of the Winders on Starship UK: Beast Below from Doctor Who. Oh, right, hmm. right, 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 right. Yes, yes. He was the, the chief of them. So, yeah, he, you know, he, of course, this was 10 year difference. So he's aged a little bit since then. He's done a lot of different. Uh, he's a, he's one of these guys. He's been he, on a lot of things. Yeah, so. does a lot of sci fi acting. Yeah, that's true. Um, yep. Uh, Jimmy, anything left on this? Uh, no. OK. <laughs> not a, not impressed with this one. Yeah, it was. I, I, I guess I did did have one more. I, I did get a kick out of you know Tilly is talking about things that that last. And one thing she mentions was the St. Louis uh, Gateway Arch. Since I lived outside of St. Louis, drove past it all the time. That's so. true. That's mm -hmm. true. Um, uh, Christopher Heyerdahl, by the way, is uh, related to Thor Heyerdahl, the famed Norwegian explorer. Hmm. Ooh. Thought I'd mention that. Cool. Uh, all right. So uh, let's wrap things up by taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Whitney B, Maritza A, G Ray, Peter G, and Radek K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of People of Earth? Do you have a better opinion of it than we did? Uh, let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next Discovery episode titled Forget Me Not. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, aye aye, Commander. One eye. We're not pirates. Arr.